Good morning. Turning your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 10, we continue in our series on this Old Testament prophetic book, Zechariah chapter 10. Uh, there's uh, an old saying that we've heard many times, uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And there are many ways that that is true. If you're making investments, you want to not put everything in one place. If you're applying to a college, it might be helpful to have a few options. Uh, if you're one of those fantasy football people who only picks players from your favorite team, you probably do better if you would diversify. There are many ways in which that is obviously good practical advice. However, when it comes to the essentials of life, there's only one source of hope that makes sense. There is a time to put all of our eggs, all of our hopes in one place. That is because all hope belongs in God alone. And the passage before us speaks to that and shows us why. So we'll begin with verse 1 of Zechariah 10. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep, they are afflicted for the lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders and horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord, their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. 
And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon until there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we, we ask in your grace that you would speak to our hearts, that you would flood our minds and our souls with the light of understanding. We would see the grandeur of the truth of you, and we would see the truth of ourselves driving us to depend upon you, to hope in you who are worthy. So graciously help us on all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We know, as the people of God, that we're to look to Him for all of our needs. So in verse 1, where the prophet speaking for the Lord says, ask from the Lord for the season of the spring rain, we think, well, we know that. We, we go before God and ask for things all of the time. But God here is, is speaking in response to his people who, who do come to him, who do seek him. But he, he wants us to consider, are we looking to other sources as well? Are we looking to the Lord and seeking to trust in other hopes? Are we putting our eggs in more than one basket, it, just in case. In other words, do we also have our backup plan? In verse 2, in the beginning, the Lord begins to speak about some of these alternate sources, these backup plans, these other places where the people are looking for hope. He says, for the household gods utter nonsense. Uh, the household gods, we, we see a couple times in the Old Testament where it'll refer to God's people and reference that they had them. So these are people who say they worship God, but these household gods were small figurines which uh, were meant to represent the spirits of their ancestors. So they didn't really think of it as idolatry, as a false god. Uh, but these were reminders, connections to their ancestors who loved them. So they were viewed as kind of bringing good luck. Having them would bring favor, just a, a little extra support. Do you have your backup plan? Just in case God doesn't come through. In addition to seeking Him, do we take situations that we struggle with and do we try to manipulate people in different ways, whether it's anger or, you know, a little pushing a little deception? Do we 
in our practices, maybe follow courses that we know are not completely biblical, but we're trying to get a good end, and so a little compromise here and there. But the Lord says, idols, meaning any place we are casting our hope outside of him, any idol utters nonsense. Indeed, an idol doesn't speak at all. It only says what words we put into it. People of God, what do you believe about him? What is your confession of God? Do you believe he is the almighty? Do you believe that all power rests in his hands? Do you believe he is the creator of all that exists? Do you believe he is the good, faithful, wise God? What do you believe about God? And based on those convictions, how can we improve upon him? How can there be any backup plan to God who is the sum of all perfections? Who in his being cannot be added to or improved and neither can his counsel or his works. Think of what we know about God and how could it be possible that there's a backup plan that is going to serve us. Or, continuing in verse 2, we may be tempted to follow the dreamers who offer alternate routes to make it through life. Not only household gods, he says, the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. These are the people who are offering new solutions to life's big problems. And we hear lots of them, particularly in the uh, public forum with all of the social issues which have great significance that concern us. And we have those who are claiming to have great wisdom. Here's the answer to societal problems. They've come up with it. They have figured it out. The problem with all of these answers and solutions that the dreamers have is that the root problem for societal struggles is ignored. The root problem to all of our struggles, failures, burdens, is the fact that every person on the face of this earth, has a sinful nature and is selfish and acts out of sin and doesn't fully follow the Lord our God who alone is perfect and wise. No matter how good-hearted the person is with their ideas of how to solve society's problems, no matter how earnest they are, if we ignore the root of where the problem came from, our solutions, which are going to be somewhere else, uh, they're never really going to deal with the problem. They will have to fail. 
The Lord says their solutions for these dreamers, he says they are empty and false hopes. Because only Christ, who alone solves our sin problem, only Christ can lead us through the mess solved by our sin. Or there's one other avenue that's brought up in verse 2. When we put our hope in having the right person to make life work, we elevate the latest success story. If only the right president is elected. If only we get in the right relationship, and life will be fulfilled, or the person who has connections. We think if we can connect with the right people, put the right people over us, then life is going to work. And God puts people in our lives for a reason, and leaders are important. And yet, all of these people who are in our lives for a reason, and leaders who are given by God, but all of them have this, this common problem, this common problem that we have. They're all sinners too. And they have weaknesses. And they fail themselves. And they fail us. Verse 2, it says, the people are wandering like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. And it's not because they did not have leaders then. It's that their leaders were failing to lead in godly ways. And the implication in the passage, because he goes on to say then, after these false avenues, he's angry at the leaders. And he's going to deal more with that in later chapters. The implication is the leaders have not been pointing people to the Lord. We're not to put our hope in any person to fix life. And that includes ourselves. If you're, if you're in the midst right now of trying to fix someone else, I'm guessing it's not working. We should pray about our influence on others. We are to be an influence. We want it to be a godly influence. As time goes on, when I think of all of my roles, whether it's with family, in this church, with friends, the conviction just deepens it's not accomplishments, it's just that your influence would be of someone that deeply loves God. Because isn't that what everyone needs most? To be people who deeply love God. He fixes, we don't. God after summing up these, these ways in which the people are, are looking for hope, then through, throughout this chapter, he's making the case for why he alone is our hope. And he does it in a few different ways. First, he reminds us what is from him. 
And he mentions this six times. He starts in verse 1 that the, the spring rains are from him. And this wasn't just about everyone having a nice lawn. In an agrarian society, rain was necessary for life. Without rain, crops did not grow. Without rain, livestock did not live. This is God providing the very essentials that you needed for daily life. And he says... These things come from the Lord. He is the creator who knows what we need and has in his hands all that we need. And then in verse 4, he adds this burst of declarations of what else comes from him. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler all of them together. The cornerstone and the tent peg uh, are what held up a building, what held down a tent. They, they both refer to stability. Do you want stability? That comes from God. He's the one who gives stability. That makes life stable. The battle bow was a weapon of power. Where does strength come from? Where does our defense, where does our protection come from? It comes from the Lord. And then he says, every ruler, all of them, where does sovereignty come from? Where does the future come from? The Lord, every time, every place, every situation, it all, it all flows from his sovereign hands. So what is from God? All creation. All wisdom. All power. All goodness. That is what comes from the Lord. That is why all hope belongs in him alone. Next, God tells us what he will do. We've heard what comes from him. What will he do? He mentions this 11 times. Since God is good, verse 1, the provisions in his hand, the spring rains, the storms, they will come. He will give them showers of rain. He goes on, he will hold accountable those leaders who are being faithless with the people. Verse 3, I will punish the leaders. Verse 6, he describes in different ways how he will hear his people, how he will strengthen them. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. I am the Lord. I will answer them. And then the, the most prominent statement he makes running through this chapter of what he will do is that he will gather his people and give them the homeland he has promised. 
This is most prominent here because remember, their identity was that of being exiles. Their fathers had been conquered, their, their city and their homeland destroyed, carted out by the tens of thousands for decades, held in a foreign land. And now they have been coming back. Most of the people coming back were born in exile. Some of their, their people were still in exile, and now that they've come back, they're being treated as exiles because the people that had filled the vacuum of their leaving land resented their coming back. They're being threatened. They're being pressured. Exile was prominent in their thinking. It, it was prominent in how they thought about themselves and about life. And so the, the word of God, of what will God do? It's filled with comments of restoration. Verse 6, I will bring them back. Verse 8, I will gather them in. Verse 10, I will bring them home. I will gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land. And God's promise is a return that is beyond expectation. For in verse 10 it says, I will gather them from Assyria. Now, this would have shocked the people, kind of surprised them. They they had been taken into captivity into Babylon and then under the Persians. The Assyrian captivity, that was with northern Israel. That had happened 120 years before the Babylonian captivity. When Israel had broken into and the northern kingdom had never had a righteous king and God warned them and warned them and finally God sent the Assyrians who when they conquered the land, they also carted the people out, but they didn't allow them to stay in ethnic enclaves. They scattered them throughout the empire, and then they took the other people they conquered them, brought them in, and scattered them through the land so that they became what we know as the Samaritans in the New Testament. The Assyrians sought to stamp out ethnic identity. Which means all of those people taken in exile hundreds of years before into Assyria, their Jewish identity was mostly gone. There wasn't a Jewish people to bring back from Assyria. Certainly there had to be some Jews, some families who had kept their ethnicity. But there wasn't this great people to pull back. And we see that this theme that's going to be growing and growing. Uh, the Lord is pointing to something greater than just the bringing back of ethnic Israel to the land they lost. It, it's pointing to the Lord will reach, as he says, to every corner of the earth, to every tribe and tongue and peoples and he will reach out and he will save 
and he will gather those who are in exile and bondage from all sorts of places. This, this is a statement of the great work of God. He will gather a kingdom of people from every place, even the places where we think they're lost forever. They're gone. There's no hope. There is always hope when there is a God who saves. Not only is his promise beyond expectation, it is a promise of a return to abundance. For he also says in verse 10 that he's going to bring them to Gilead and to Lebanon. Gilead was on the other side of the Jordan River and Lebanon was to the north. These were areas outside of what was then the kingdom of Judah. These were areas that had been under the kingdom of David and Solomon when Israel had been a broad empire. But the Lord is saying, far beyond your expectations, I'm going to bring so many. He says, even these other areas that you don't live in now, even those areas will not be big enough for all whom I will bring. The Lord not only saves, he will save many. And to our eyes, we're seeing those who don't respond and those who are hard of heart. And we can, we can doubt that many will be saved. But when we read the final description of the people of God, the picture is of many. What will God do? He will do all that is just and all that is best for his glory and our eternal good. And finally, God tells us what shall happen for those who trust him. And this is mentioned 16 times. When we combine what is from God alongside of what God has said he will do, the result is the fulfillment of hope. The result is what shall happen. The result is what we put our hope in. What shall happen? They shall be like mighty men in battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put to shame the riders on horses, meaning their powerful enemies. They shall be as though I had not rejected them. Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior. Their hearts shall be glad. The children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. They shall be as many as there were before. They shall remember me. Their children shall return. They shall pass through the sea of troubles. The Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low. The scepter of Egypt shall depart. And they shall walk in his name. 
people of God, shall we doubt him? What other promises are left? What has God not been faithful to promise? What good thing does he withhold from those who love him? How much greater should, can our salvation be? How much glorious could our Lord be? How much full could be the grace of God? But if somehow you, you go through all these things that the Lord says shall be, and you, you can't find your particular need or struggle in there, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the Lord says he's able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. Your need is in there. Your burden is in there. Your hurts are in there. Every hope you need is in the generous hands of Jesus who died for you. God is saying through all of this, trust me. Trust me. And that's actually how we make him our hope. As you can hear all of this, well, God is to be our hope alone. Well, what does that mean? How do we make him our hope? We trust him. What his word says, we, we believe it and we live. Believing this is true. He will be faithful. What he has called me to do is good. What he has asked me to believe in will show it's true. We make God our only hope by trusting in all that he has said. And if inside you're thinking, I kind of believe, how can I be sure that God is the one hope to trust in? Well, that answer is here too. We have seen that God has spoken in the future tense 27 times. What he will do, what he shall make happen. There's only one statement in the past tense. of What God has done. And it is the foundation of why God is to be our only hope. Verse 8, for I have redeemed them, for I have saved them. What, what is the foundation under all of this? God has saved us. You are not on your own. You are not making life work. You're not trying to pull up hopes and gather them, sticking them in your pockets. God has done it all. He gives them. He pours them out. He himself is the fulfillment of our hopes. He has redeemed us. 
Redemption is the price paid to set someone free. Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. He redeemed us. He received the wrath of God and paid the price God requires for sin. And he paid it so fully and completely, there's no payment left to be made. And those who trust in him, our guilt is gone. As the Bible says in Ephesians 1, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We just keep coming back to Jesus and his gospel. It's always the foundation. It's always our assurance. However hard life is, however big the burdens, just keep looking at him. Look at what he has done for you. How willingly he died for you. How generously he he poured himself out for you. How zealous he is to keep you forever. God who saves us completely at such an unimaginable cost. He is to be trusted. He is to be trusted. And his care is not reserved for those who are worthy. It flows out of his character. We see it in verse 6. Why will he do all of these things? Because I have compassion on them. And then he goes on to say, For I am the Lord their God, I will answer them. It all comes from God's character, his commitment, his covenant. He has said he will be faithful. I am the Lord. I have said I will make a covenant with all who trust in my son. I've committed to it. His name stands behind it because his heart is filled with compassion and he wants to save. There is no one here who needs to wonder if you're worthy enough. Will God save me? Will he look to me? He's already told us, I have compassion. I desire to save. Call out to him. Call now. Say, Lord, I don't understand it. Would you show me? Would you save me? Take my sin. What do you need? Do you need someone to understand you? Do you need someone who really does care? That comes from the Lord. Do you need Someone who's bigger than what brings fear. Bigger than what wearies you. 
bigger than what brings pain. His name is Jesus. Do you need someone who can guarantee, guarantee how this life will work out? There is only one, only one. His name is Jesus. Hope belongs in God alone for he alone can fulfill those hopes. So trust him and ask him to show you what that means. And he will kindly and graciously and patiently help you see what that means so that you you can become a reflection of his faithfulness. That's also a grace of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for all, all these ways you have shown of your commitment, your care, your faithfulness, and and we know your word is, is even filled with other statements. And the history of mankind filled with our obstinance is, is filled with innumerable evidences of your grace. So help us each to turn toward you and to see your worthiness, to entrust ourselves to you who are worthy. Help us, dear Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.